Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And um, despite uh, everyone seems to be talking about all the movie watching and stuff they're doing on their on their lockdown, I've been busy. I've, I have one movie to talk about. I've seen way more than one movie. Sure. But uh, we're... Uh, our main episode this week is a profile. And so I watched a, a whole bunch of movies for that. So that's what I've been doing with my time. So I may have one movie to talk about, but you have more than that. Why don't you get us started? All right. So David, I finally at long last watched Richard Linkletter's before sunrise. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 tomorrow I'll be watching before sunset with Jen. Okay. So, um, <laughs> did you you don't happen to be watching little fires everywhere on hulu right now no. do you okay because there's also uh, a character on that who's been struggling to watch before sunrise <laughs> um, it's a very different situation but uh I, I i it's i guess it's just a coincidence but i was like has tyler been watching little fires everywhere and decided to watch before before sunrise because it's a running gag on that show it came about because Jen and I were thinking of like things that we could watch together and deciding like, we'll watch something that I haven't seen, we'll watch, but she has and, and, and likes and then vice versa. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, with, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the one that I had seen and she hadn't in a minute. Cause it's, it's funny what the choices were, uh, according to her. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, the before sunrise series, like, it's like, oh, this seems like a good opportunity where it's just granted that the characters are not confined or anything like that, but they are, all, they are together. And it's about the two people, uh, feeling like they have a, a connection. And so, um, yeah, my reluctance to start this series came about primarily as a function of having very little patience for '90s Ethan Hawke, and that come that that's a two that's twofold. One is the type of actor he is, or was, pardon me, and the other is the type of characters he played. Um, so that's not okay. necessarily a function of him as as a writer or anything like that. Um, it just has to do with what he epitomized. And it's something that I have very, I didn't have a lot of patience for at the time. And I have even less patience for now, which is a certain type of nineties, ironic detachment. Uh, so I was, I was, I feel like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of that in this film. And then when we get to the next ones, hopefully that'll have, uh, started to melt away a little bit. Um, but as I was watching it, sure enough, the fir for the first half, that's a lot of what you get from him. And thankfully, Julie Delpy is just so charming that the situation and the way she approaches things, because it's not like she's like some, some angelic uh, character either. Like she's got her own quirks. She has her own opinions. Um, but he does seem to be a little bit more the lead. And maybe that's just because he's the American and I'm an American. So I view things from his perspective. Um, but what, you know, they keep encountering these various people and he keeps, you know, quote unquote, seeing through them. 
and seeing, you know, what the, what the angles are. And after a certain point, the inherent romance of, of their situation, he just lets himself give into it. And so along those lines, I think the film itself also uh, didn't have a lot of patience for this type of character and this type of outlook, which is a very, it's the nineties and you're in your twenties and you're a guy who is kind of good looking and all that sort of thing. And just feeling like your opinion and your ability to see the reality uh, is just so, so important. Um, You know, it is about this character humbling himself as opposed to being humble and just like letting him just giving himself over to the idea of romance. And I don't merely mean relational romance. I mean, a larger romantic view of the world. Um, And I really, really appreciated that um, because I wasn't sure how much of an arc there was going to be for either of the characters. Um, But I think the film is beautifully shot. I love how patient it is. It lets the scenes go on without feeling self-indulgent. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And the one thing that I'm, that I'm bummed about um, is that, and this has to do with, you know, this is a, a a 20 year old regret at this point, but uh, I wish that I had seen it without knowing that we're going to see these characters again, like as a film, just as a, you know, in cap uh, as like a, a one-off it works really well. And but it adds a different layer of intrigue when you know there's going to be another one and then another one. So, uh, you know, I kind of robbed myself of that, but, um, but overall I really, I really liked the movie like a um, lot. Yeah. I'm glad. Uh, I also really liked that movie, uh, uh, a lot. I'll, I'll take uh, issue with one thing you said, which is you said the movie doesn't ha- similarly doesn't have any patience for his bullshit. And I don't think that's the right way to frame it because I think, yes, Richard Linklater and, and the movie understand that this is a facade. That this mm-hmm. is an affectation. It's a defense mechanism, but I still think there's a lot of love for the character. Like, I don't think, yes. I don't think the movie is uh, damning him. It's saying like, it's like a patient therapist sort of like waiting out the, you know, you show up to a therapy session, you spend the first half talking about whatever is like top of mind that day, but it's not what's mm-hmm. really going on. And a patient therapist sort of, I don't mean a patient slash therapist. I mean, it's a therapist, <laughs> right. patients ending in CE, uh, you know, lets the session go long enough for you to get into what's really bothering you. Yeah, um, no, I, so I, I think don't there's a lot of pa- patience. Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah, I, I, I guess I uh, said that incorrectly. I don't think the film condemns him, and maybe doesn't even necessarily condemn his attitude. It's more like the film has probably already kind of arrived where he is going to arrive, and there's a certain, I would say, a loving like, oh man, I remember this. I remember <laughs> yeah. when I was like this, yeah, and just like. And I wouldn't, it's like, I'm not going to, in the same way that, you know, when you talk to teenagers and you see like a certain level of melodrama in their lives and that sort of thing, like on one hand, when you're an adult, you can either say like, ah, these kids on the other, you're like, yeah, I was the same way. And I had to grow out of that naturally. And in the end, I'm kind of glad that I went through this stage, but I'm also glad to be out of it. And so I feel like that's, I think the film is actually very mature. Um, I certainly like something that I mostly like about something that I like about Richard Linkletter is that I feel like he rarely judges his characters. He might judge their behavior. He might judge their attitude, but out of, but that mostly comes from desperately wanting them to be in a better place 
for the sake of other people and probably for themselves as well. Um, okay. So next, well, I, for can't, me, I can't wait for you to watch before sunset. That, uh, that does seem to be the, the favorite of the three. Yeah. It's uh, my favorite. I think I, I, you have a better memory for this. Did I put it on my, when we did the episode of best films of the aughts, did I, when did I put it on that? I don't remember. I definitely, I feel like you might have um, because you did love it a lot uh, at the time. Um, and you know, one thing that's funny, and I guess this is something I can talk about uh, next week because I'll be talking about before sunset next week um, is that, uh, you know, I remember when it was announced that there was going to be a sequel to before sunrise. And even though I hadn't seen it, I felt a certain way about that, as did a lot of my friends uh, who had seen Before Sunrise. And it seemed like, not, obviously not a cash grab, strictly speaking, but a certain uh, creative bankruptcy on the part of Richard Linkletter. Um, come to find out that uh, just as a filmmaker, he's fascinated by the passage of time. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and then the film is released and people absolutely adore it. So, uh, yeah, it just goes to show you that... Anytime somebody says like, ah, sequels, and it's like, ah, eh, they can, they can be good if the director really feels like there's sure. more to say. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, um, I, di I didn't put it on my list. Okay. So sorry. All right. Next for me, David, listen to this. I, it was after before sunrise, I wanted to watch, okay. uh, Jen went to bed and I was going to uh, watch something on my own. And uh, I have a number of movies that I own but have not seen people have just sorry like, i'm trying to uh i'm trying to figure out what time of day is after before sunrise that's just sunrise right it's just sunrise yeah <laughs> okay so let's see my father is my <laughs> grandfather's son um but uh yeah and uh so i just have you know i have a number of movies that people have just purchased uh, for me over the years as like a gift or they're like, Hey, I think you'd like this. So there, there are a number of movies sitting on my shelf. And so I took a lot of, uh, a lot of movies that I hadn't seen and just selected from there. And I ultimately wound up picking a movie that I selected primarily for its cast and its runtime. That was it. Okay. And it is Ilya Kazan's panic in the streets. Do you know anything about this movie? I, I, I don't. Yeah, it's a it's an epidemic movie. I had oh, no wow. idea, no idea when I selected it. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, but here's the thing: if you were to look at, if you were to look at uh, the the cover of the DVD that I have, or the or the um, the poster, you would not you would be forgiven for thinking that it's just like a film noir because it kind of is. It's this weird hybrid that really is fascinating and almost almost funny because there's essentially uh, a, a man is found who has been shot dead uh but if he had not died of getting shot he would have died of uh uh new a pneumonic plague all right and richard widmark is like the government official who realizes like okay uh well whoever shot this guy we need to find them not necessarily to bring them to justice although that's important as well not necessarily that but 
they were exposed to this thing and they're going to just be exposing everybody else. And so as they're investigating, they find themselves walking into a film noir because as it turns out in a film noir, uh, when you shoot somebody and someone says, Hey, did you shoot this guy? Your instinct is to say, no, I didn't. And in fact, I'm going to shoot you if you don't go away. And so it's, it's fascinating because there are scenes that, that look like just kind of a standard, early 50s drama but then when the characters go into this into the 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 underbelly of new orleans uh visually it looks different style uh the dialogue is a little bit different the the main heavy is the is played by walter jack palance uh in his yeah. film debut um oh, wow and uh his his henchman is played by zero mostel uh and it's just it's such a fascinating encroachment of a genre onto into a a more conventional type of film and it's just fascinating to watch like the our main characters get so frustrated it's it's almost like to me it's like when you watch um like gone baby gone or something where uh this character you know these these characters they're investigating something and it just takes them into a bar. And even the people that have nothing to do with their investigation, they just don't like you asking questions about anything. Um, And that's what it is. And and there's a a certain, I find a certain perverse delight in, in watching this, you know Um, it's the kind of thing that if you were to make it now, it's, it's not unlike something like deep murder where one, you think one thing is happening and then suddenly this whole other thing comes along. Um, it's, it's really well acted. There's a certain absurdity to all of it, of course. Uh, but it's well acted, uh, well shot. I really am glad that I saw it. And once again, a complete surprise to me that it was about what it was about. Well, um, get ready for another little bit of a surprise. Okay. Because my one movie, uh, I, I mentioned last uh, week watching Whiskey Galore, mm-hmm. uh, the Ealing uh, comedy directed by Alexander McKendrick. I watched the other half of that Blu-ray release double feature, um, which is also an Alexander McKendrick Scottish Ealing comedy thing. Uh, it's called The Maggie, or it was released, uh, I guess, at the time in the U.S. as High and Dry. And uh, it's mostly Scottish, but it uh, revolves around one American character played by Paul Douglas, who oh. is this co-star, Richard Woodmark's co-star in Panic in the Streets. The giant-faced Paul Douglas? <laughs> yeah. And so he plays the sort of uh, um, stere- stereotypical sort of like rich American bloviating businessman. You know, he's a, he's a loudmouth. You know, he's a blowhard. I, I believe um, it. Yeah. And... Uh, the the movie which is a ton of fun uh it's called the maggie because it's about this little uh sort of uh scrappy little falling apart uh cargo uh boat called the maggie that um sort of uh um what's what i'm looking for uh the the, the captain kind of cheats his way into taking on a, an expensive load because the uh the the ship is failing they need the money they sort of like allow some misconceptions to go uncorrected so that they can get this guy's uh, furniture on, on board that he needs shipped uh, to London. I can't remember where he's supposed to go. Um, And so then once this guy finds out like, wait, my expensive furniture is on this crappy little ship, not, or this crappy little boat, not like one of the professional licensed uh, ships that I thought it was on. uh, He takes it upon himself to go track them down. And so they, a lot of the movie is them, I, like trying to hide like from 
the guy whose cargo they're they're uh they're carrying it becomes a running joke that like like it, he's spending so much money on like cabs and like literally renting helicopters and stuff uh to you know just to uh to to say you know it'd be it'd be cheaper to just let them uh let them have it um and then at one point he even gets on board and they keep sort of it, it's it's a it it has kind of this like slobs versus snobs like scrappy caper comedy type of feel to it um it's uh it, it's yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a ton of fun um it's also like, you know, I talked about Whiskey Galore being one of those um, British like village movies where like the whole village bands together to do something that's like a little bit like untoward or whatever, you know, uh, and here in this, in that case, it's hiding whiskey in the case of like saving grace it has to do with like growing weed or something right. uh, uh, like there's, there's always something that's like, like, Oh, that's that are incorrigible. But like <laughs> in this case, like, the part of what's funny to me about the movie is like the the crew of the Maggie are criminals. <laughs> like they're not they're still like our heroes and we're like rooting for them, but they're not like they're not incorrigible. They're like liars and cheats and thieves. Yeah. Um but they're still the good guys and they're still like because they're uh you know they're still men of the people and, and so the the businessman is the one who has to learn the lesson, not the criminals who just enjoy, who just want to live for themselves and uh, stay on their boat and, and drink beer when they're on shore. Uh, <laughs> they don't have to learn anything. It's yeah. The, the businessman, which is a, it's a good performance by, by Paul Douglas. Um, and it's a really fun movie. Uh, yeah. The Maggie. So that's available for film movement classics, put out that double Blu-ray of whiskey galore or sorry, whiskey galore. Um, and the Maggie or high and dry. All right. So All right. next up, uh, it was time for Jen and I to watch a film that I had seen, but she had not. Um, and she boiled it down to two options that I think it's safe to say couldn't be more different. It was either it happened one night oh. or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> How did you resist the urge to make it a double feature? Well, point? because we were going to start it a little bit later in the okay. evening and all of that. Uh, we ultimately landed on it happened one night just because, you know, it's a nice, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a nice companion to Before Sunrise in its own way. Mm, yeah, um, I, I have not, it's probably only my third time seeing it. Um, I haven't seen it in many years at this point. And my outside of some very, some sort of iconic moments, uh, it's a film that, that I didn't have much memory for. Um, and, you know, one thing, it, it always, it has a place in my heart because it was my dad's favorite movie. Um, and I think there was a time when I, so no, I guess this is my fourth time seeing it because probably like my, my second or third time seeing it, I didn't really care for it because I don't think I had much understanding of like a certain type of screwball comedy, which this doesn't necessarily fit, but it is in a certain tradition. And again, it's so much of it is of its time that you have to sort of rearrange your, your thinking uh, as far as how these characters are relating to one another. Uh, and also just this, the, culture in general. Um, but once I, once you do that, which even this time, knowing a little bit what to expect, it still took me about 10 or 15 minutes to realign my thinking and, and realize like, oh yes, okay, things are, uh, you know, 
it, it was a little bit easier to be scandalized, I would say. Uh, the idea of like, oh, they're staying in a hotel, but I don't <laughs> know if they're married or not. And the owner's having an opinion about that, uh, that sort of thing. So, but in watching it again, uh, it's, I, I do a, just adore it. It is such a, it has such a, a nice, charming pace and both uh, characters are, you know, and I guess in a way this, this does set up a certain template for a, any number of movies that would come later, like Before Sunrise, where you have these two characters uh, who have their own way of doing things and don't seem to be really open to the idea of love. Now, in this case, you know, there's, they're, they're openly mocking of each other. Uh, whereas you don't really find that in before sunrise, but, um, and then they slowly give each other, give themselves over to, to this idea. And it is, there are moments that are understandably iconic, like when Clark Gable is trying to, to hitch a ride. Um, and even before um, Claudette Colbert comes out and like shows her leg and a, uh, and a car stops immediately, even before that, him, try, him showing all the different ways to like stick out your thumb uh, is hilarious uh, in itself. And then the guy who eventually does pick them up just starts singing randomly and constantly. Uh, and it's just little moments like that that I really appreciate. And that I think Frank Capra was particularly good at. Um, he, you know, he was a director that I think engaged in a fair amount of certainly uh, patriotism and sentimentality without ever. Well, I mean, maybe occasionally, but like, yeah, while seldom giving himself completely over to it, he, he, he strikes just a really great balance of, uh, of sort of these knowing winks between characters and just fully committing to the emotion that they're, that they're feeling and dealing with at that moment. So, uh, I really adore it. Uh, it's Jen loved it as well. And, uh, I'm very happy that I rewatched it. Uh, and what's more is this is something it almost goes without saying, but, uh, you know, we all, we all talk about criterion so casually um, that it, it never hurts to remember that any Blu-ray distribution company that puts as much care into its transfers as criterion does. And a number of them do at this point, thankfully, uh, because I, you know, I was, I first saw it happen one night on just like a muddy old, VHS tape. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it on DVD and it looked a little bit better. Then again, you get a, a company that really wants it to look as good as it can without overdoing it and making it look plastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, it happened one night looks, looks really uh, beautiful and really amazing. And uh, I was really happy. Uh, I was really happy to have rewatched it. Um, the last film is a movie that, uh, I'll be honest, I was watching and uh, reviewing basically as a favor, um, but it, it will be available in late April. It is called Man Camp, directed by Nate Backey, B-A-K-K-E. I don't know if that's how you say it, um, but it was, uh, was co-written by uh, BP's own Josh Long. And so uh, I was probably going to watch it anyway, just to, to support ah. him, to support him. But I also figured, like, eh, what the hell? I'll, I'll watch it. And, and uh, I wrote a review that is scheduled; it'll go up in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's a film that I would say I mostly liked. Uh, there are a couple moments that are just not my kind of thing. Uh, Josh and I 
again, he co-wrote it. It's not all him. But when you know Josh, you're like, okay, I see it. Uh, <laughs> because uh, he and I mostly have the same sense of humor. But every once in a while, like I have, as you know, very little patience for um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite and uh, Bottle Rocket, uh, what I've referred to as like oafish humor. Um, even though I wouldn't say Napoleon is an oaf, but there's just a certain type of obliviousness to the character that exhausts me and I do not find endearing at all. Um, and so you see that this film, Josh on the other hand, just like loves that stuff. And this film comes close to that. And then thankfully, I think through some really great performances and I think some restraint on the part of the director and the, and the writers, it comes close to that and pulls back, remembering they're like, oh yeah, we have to sympathize with these characters. I forgot. Um, and uh, it's it's a you know it's a lower profile cast except the uh, Pete Gardner is in it, who's on uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which I never saw, but I know a lot of people that really liked. Um, and uh, it's about three brothers who, uh, whose father had passed away uh, years before, and now their mom is uh, dating this new guy, and so they decide they're going to like put him through the ringer. Very uh, kind of a standard type of, uh, of film, but again, I think the performances are solid enough, and the, the way that it keeps a, a pretty steady undercurrent of like pathos, because you realize that like these characters are living kind of in a state of arrested development, probably because they can't really deal with the grief that they've been feeling for a long time. So, and of course this man represents more than just, Oh, a guy that wants to be with their mom. It's also, we now really need to focus on how much life has changed since dad has been gone and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good movie. I don't necessarily love it, but I did enjoy it. And, uh, there are a few moments I laughed out loud. Uh, and so it will be available, uh, on, I don't remember exactly. It's available at various places on VOD, uh, in late April. So I'll post a written review as we get closer to that, but, uh, it's worth checking out uh, man camp directed by uh, Nate Backey. So that, uh, that's it for me.